We really just wanted that song stuck in your head all day, so uh, that's a good song. As soon as we titled it, Love Hurts, I mean, what else could you play but that? I don't know how many of you have heard the story of Dick and Rick Hoyt before. Dick and Rick Hoyt are a father-son duo, and they made news uh, many years ago because of their athletic prowess together. Now, Dick Hoyt was not an athlete, really. He wasn't a runner. He didn't set out to be a triathlete. But then he had his son, Rick. And Rick had cerebral palsy. And Rick really wanted to run. He wanted to fly like the other kids his age. And so Dick Hoyt started uh, pushing Rick around. And so what, what started around the neighborhood became a 5K, a half marathon, and a marathon. So much they even ran the Boston Marathon together. He eventually did the Ironman Triathlon in Hawaii, pushing his son or pulling him in the ocean the whole way. And sometimes people would ask Dick Hoyt, they said, you know, if you didn't bring your son along, you know, you might could even place near the top of the Boston Marathon. You might could, you know, get close to those who are winning. And he said, you know, this isn't about me running. This is about running with my son. This is the sacrifice that he made. He trained, he got ready, and he ran at a slower pace than he could have alone, but he did it for his son because he knew that true love requires sacrifice. Well, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I know you've been welcomed, but I want to welcome you again to Cross Point. My name is Kale Courtright, one of the ministers here. We're in this series called Love in Action. And today we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. But we're so glad if you've tuned in online, if you're gathered around in your living room. We're, we're so happy that you that are here are here because whether we're online or in person, we are one church family. We are the church wherever we go. We bear the name of Christ together. And, and what we do here on a Sunday morning is not for the purpose of just keeping it here, but it's for the purpose that we take it back out into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, and that all may know the name of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we're doing here. And so we hope you find encouragement, that you are uplifted in spirit so you can go back out into the world and show them the love of Christ. And in fact, church, you're going to have a great opportunity to do that next week. Next week is a Sunday that we call Blue Bucket Sunday. We do it a couple of times a year, and we're going to have our blue buckets out. Of course, we're going to do the 2020 version of it this year. We're not going to pass them, but they're going to be out. You can give online, and every dollar that's given to our Blue Bucket Fund goes to those who have needs. You know, we get a lot of needs in our community, and we want to always say yes to meeting those needs. And this year specifically, the Blue Bucket Funds are going to go towards our Thanksgiving meal drives. At Thanksgiving, we like to give a Thanksgiving meal, an entire Thanksgiving meal to about 120 to 140 families. This year, again, again, it's the 2020 version. We're not going to be buying food, packing it all together and delivering. We are going to hand them a gift card this year, but we want you to partner with us because we want, I mean, imagine what 140 households in our community looks like. Imagine how they're spread across the city and they will receive a gift from the Cross Point Church because of the love of Jesus that we have in us. That truly is love in action, church. And so we have a, an opportunity next week 
to live out what we proclaim every day. And so please be in prayer over that this week. Uh, We have a big goal. We're trying to raise about $8,000 so we can not only meet the Thanksgiving need, but our other needs in the meantime. And so please be in prayer over that this week and how you might can partner with us. Because again, this is a great way to put our love into action. And today, we're going to talk a little bit more about love and what love looks like. So I hope you have your Bible. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But before we get there, I want to just talk a little bit about 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, we call it 1 Corinthians because Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church. And they have problems going on, right? They're like any other group of people. They have problems. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 kind of highlights those problems. You know, Paul says, you know, you are one body. Though you're made up of many parts, you are one body. No, no part is more important than another. You may say, you may be the hand, you might say to the foot that I'm more important, but Paul says, no, we are one body. And from there, he's gonna, he transitions to talking about the gifts. See, the Corinthian church had these gifts from the Spirit that they thought pretty highly of themselves about. You know, they, they might have the gift of prophecy or speaking in tongues. And Paul says, you know, those are all well and good, but you need to stop gifts to hold it over somebody else. See, what Paul doesn't say is that gifts are bad. What he says is it depends on how we use the gifts. And so what what he's going to say is that, you know, these gifts are to lift each other up. The gifts that were given in the Spirit are not for you, but they're for the community. So you might come in here today with a gift, and you might come in with a different gift. And it's not, the gift isn't for you, The gift is given to you to lift up the entire community. See, again, like what I said a minute ago is that what starts here doesn't stay here. It breaks outside of these walls and goes into our communities. And so we are given these gifts so that this body may grow in the faith, may be lifted up in maturity, and that the name of Jesus will then go out into all of our world. So we should desire the gifts. The gifts are the spirit at work in us. However, he says, this isn't the best way. There is a most excellent way, Paul says. And so he starts that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Church, let me sum it up for you like this today. So this is what he says. He says, you can have the gifts of the Spirit, the great gifts of the Spirit. You can have the deepest faith. You can be the person in the community that has no doubts, that lives with no fear because your faith is that deep. You can be generous, a very charitable person. You don't hold things to yourself, but you give them over to others. And Paul even says, you can be willing to give your body over to hardship. You can be willing to suffer. You can have a faith that's so bold that you'll go out to everybody, you'll tell them about it, and you're not even scared of the consequences. And he says, you can do all of that. It's nothing without love. See, we look at a list like this and we say, man, I 
that's exactly who I want to be. I want to be that kind of person. And he says, that's not what truly matters. Again, he doesn't downgrade these things, but he says, if you don't do it with love, it's worthless. See, church, we can know all the verses. We can know the correct way to live. We can have a great faith. We can own the moral high ground. But if we don't have love, we are nothing. And church, I would submit to you today that the worst moments in Christian history are when we've been right, but we didn't have love. Or when we thought we had a message to give, but we did it with pride and with boasting, and we didn't have love. And what the world sees in that moment is they see people that don't truly embody the message of Christ. And so they turn and they walk away. You can have a deep faith. You can be generous. You can give your body over to hardship. But if you don't have love, you have nothing. So wherever you find yourself today, understand that we must do it with love. The gifts that God's given us, the true messages that we have, we have to do it with love. Paul doesn't say we throw off these other gifts. Rather, he says love guides our gifts. He says, you know, you can practice tongues as well as you practice tongues lovingly. He says you can lovingly prophesy. If it's going to have significance, it's going to be done with love. And this makes sense because we are God's people. And God, before he's anything else, is a God of love. First John tells us that God is love. There's a lot of ways we can describe him, but we should describe him first with love. Is he full of grace? Yes. Justice, of course. Mercy, fair. He's our creator, our defender, our Lord, our comforter. He's all of those things, but he's first a God of love. See, what you lead with matters. How you describe something matters. For instance, uh, you might have heard of a guy named Mike, and Mike loves sports. Mike went out for the basketball didn't make the varsity team, he made the JV team. A little bit later, he decided he would try baseball, and he was really good at baseball, but he couldn't make it to the pros. He loved golf, he played a lot of golf, but he just wasn't that, uh, he wasn't good enough to be professional at it. That's, that's one way to describe Michael Jordan, but a better way to describe Michael Jordan is, you know, maybe the best basketball player to ever live. Six-time champion, five-time MVP, You would never lead with his baseball career. You would lead with his basketball career. And just like with God, there's a lot that you can say about God, but we lead with God is love. And we are called to be his person, and so we lead with love. So Paul has told us why love's important. In fact, he said it's, it's essential. So now he's going to talk about what love is. He's going to describe exactly what it looks like. I want you to keep this reminder in mind as we read this list. The the love is for the purpose of how we deal with this community, this church community. It starts here, and then it breaks outside these walls to our world. This is what he says, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. 
Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. By a show of hands, who's heard this verse before? Uh, Keep your hand raised. Have you heard it at a wedding before? Was it read at your wedding? Oh, I'm surprised. I thought it'd be more, honestly. But we typically hear this verse in that context. Think about uh, a marital, marital relationship. We say, this is what love looks like. It's true. These are good things for husbands and wives to, to have. But again, Paul is writing this to the church community. He's saying, in how you deal with one another, this is the most excellent way. This is what love looks like. There's a lot going on here, and we're not going to go in depth of everyone, but I do want to hit a few of them. Paul starts off with two attributes that love is. He says love is patient and love is kind. Now that word patient can literally be translated to long anger. Or maybe you've heard it before, maybe when you learned the fruit of the Spirit, you, you learned the word long-suffering. Patience is this idea that as things are uh, annoying to you, angering to you, things are difficult, that you can deal with those things for a long time. That's literally what Paul is saying, is can you deal with the annoyances, the frustrations, the difficulties of life, and can you bear with them for a long time? Love is long-suffering. And if you've been a parent of a young child, you know this to be true, don't you? You've got to have that patience. There's a man that I, I knew, that I know a few years ago, who was just one of those guys that would uh, want to take you to lunch and to coffee, and he would sit there, and he was a great listener. Uh, he had a lot of wisdom. He had a lot to offer as far as, you know, how, what your life should look like, how you should live and I can, I can remember going with my own frustrations and, and always getting a listening ear and a, a kindness about him, a gentleness. There was always this joy. And it, w- and it was a few years that I had known him to find out that he was dealing with this chronic pain. Every day he dealt with this pain and you would have never known it. See, sometimes people deal with a chronic pain and it, they become very grouchy. They become very difficult. And he wasn't that way. He was the exact opposite. He was long-suffering. And the things that life threw at him did not lead him into down that path. He stayed a joyful person. This is what patience looks like. This is what love looks like. If you want to be the kind of person who loves, you are a patient person. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, I'm not naturally a patient person. And you know, that's actually not in the text to only be patient if it's natural to you. It's not there. Trust me, I looked multiple times. But Paul says, you're called to be patient, even when it's not easy, even when it doesn't come natural. And sometimes you might have to fake it till you make it, you know, that in this very hour, this very day, you might need patience. Maybe if I go a little long here today, be like, okay, I'm getting impatient. 
And maybe sometimes you need to think of someone else that is a patient person and go, you know what, what would this person do in, that, in this moment? I'm going to be like that. See, patience doesn't come easy, but we have to lean into it. The second one is similar. Paul says, love is kind. Now, kindness is a fruit of the Spirit as well. Kindness, in my mind, is not the same as niceness. See, when you're nice to someone, maybe someone has said something to you or been rude to you, and nice is just not returning the favor. But kindness, being kind, is an action-oriented word. See, when you're kind to someone, when you walk into the room, you say, what good can I give to another person? How can I make their day a little bit better? How can I give of myself to help somebody else? See, kindness requires a sacrifice from you so that someone else can have good. It's not the same as nice, but it's kind. So what Paul says here right at the beginning is, this is what love looks like. That as people are annoying to you or difficult or angering to you, that you're going to hold that back. You're, not, you're going to be long-suffering. You're going to be patient. And instead, you're going to offer kindness. Not giving people what they deserve, but treating them as Jesus would treat them. See, I think what he chose with these first two is that love is actionable. Love is something to do. Love is who we are. But then he's going to talk about what love isn't. And again, this is, this is the Corinthian church. They are going to feel all of these intimately. He said, love doesn't envy. You're not jealous of another person. Love doesn't boast especially when you've been given these gifts of the Spirit. You don't hold it over someone else. You don't brag about yourself. Likewise, it's not prideful. It's not thinking more of yourself and less of other people. Love doesn't dishonor others. It doesn't shame someone for their gifts. Love is not self-seeking. It doesn't come into a room and think, how can I better myself here? Where's my shortcut? How can I get ahead It's not easily angered because, again, it's long-suffering. And love keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't keep score. And this record of wrongs, this is one of the most insidious behaviors that you'll ever see. Because someone is going to do something to you someday. Someone is going to wrong you. That is going to happen. The question is, will you keep record of it? Will you hold it against them And every other encounter, you'll remember that wrong that they did to you. So keeping the record of wrongs is the opposite of grace. And we're called to be people who give forgiveness and grace rather than keeping the record of wrongs. See, this, this, the behavior of the Corinthian church contradicts the character of love. This is why Paul, in the last chapter, had a whole conversation about their gifts, about the body of Christ. No gift is above another. It's worthless if it's not done in love. The body needs all these gifts, which means that your gifts are not about you. This space, this life is not about you. See, to truly love another, you must be humble. You must have the humility like Christ had. And and in Philippians chapter 2, the way that's described is that though his name is above every name, He counted it worthless. He gave up heaven for you and for me. And he was obedient to death 
on a cross. That Jesus Christ had humility. Love is putting others above yourself, giving to others, sacrificing for others in humility. Paul's describing how the church should be, how we as a people are called to live. We are a new community, a new humanity that's called to be different than the world in which we live. And the list that I just read, envy, boast, pride, self-seeking, that's what the world is like. And if we're not careful, we'll fall in line with the world. We're supposed to be a new person. And Jesus himself, when he prays in John chapter 17, is he prays for us and says, may they be known by their love. That's what we're supposed to be known as. Before we're thought of as anything else, we are called to be people of love. And church, we're going to get a lot wrong. We will never get everything right. But if we don't get love right, we have nothing. Church, as a community, we can never fail in the way of love. It has to be our first priority, the first thing that we offer to somebody else. And we are people who are called to love. So there are two ideas that I think Paul gives us out of here that, that I want you to think about today. Two, maybe two questions for you. But the first is about character formation. See, when we, when we read this list of love, what we, le- what we read are things that can actually be worked on in our life. We're not going to be perfect at loving others overnight. We're not born with it. And some of these, again, are easier for, for you than they might be for another. You might be more naturally patient, but we can all deepen it. See, the truth about love, church, is that it's not about feelings, about feeling like it or not feeling like it. It's about whether or not we are people of love. See, love abides in us. Love is a habitual action. It's who we can become. It's a learned pattern of behavior that must be cultivated over time in the context of the church community We are learning to be formed into the image of Christ. And I know you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, but I'm not Jesus. We knew that. But we're being formed in his image. See, when you came in here today, when you logged in online this morning, you were accepted exactly as you are. That you have a place in this body. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday, last week, last year. None of that matters. You have a place here. But we expect you to be a different person a year from now. We don't expect you to walk in here one year from now being the exact same person you are today. Are you going to be completely without sin? Of course not. But we want your character to continue to be formed into the image of Christ. That spiritual formation is not something that we ever finish. We finish the day Jesus returns or the day that we go to him in death. But we're continually looking more and more like him. And that's what the church is for. The church is to help you grow. So while you're accepted as you are, we're not going to let you stay there. We want you to become a person who is more patient, who is more kind, who's letting go of their anger, of the record of wrongs. We're going to work on love, even if you don't feel like it. We reject those feelings and we become a person of love. And the second truth is this, is that love hurts. That love will be costly. Love will require something of you. It's not true love unless there is sacrifice. 
And the best model we have of this is when Jesus Christ went to the cross. And Jesus Christ loved us the whole time, and he showed it best when he went to the cross for you and for me. In Romans, it talks about how at the moment when we rejected him, that's when he said, I will go to the cross for you. Because he loves us. Love will be costly. You cannot be self-seeking and be a person of love. If you're going to give love to others, you have to put them above yourself. The problem is that this is not how we're being formed in the world today. See, our culture wants us to be like the Corinthian church, to put ourselves first, to look out for number one, to take advantage of others for our own gain. And this community is called to be countercultural. To live as Jesus did, we have to put others above ourselves. And so when love starts to hurt, that's when you know you're doing it right. That love will always cost you something. But if we're not careful, church, we can fall out of that pattern. And we can say, well, you know what? I want to take care of myself, take care of my family, do all of that first. And then when I have leftovers, I'll love. And that's not what love is. Loving is giving something to someone first, even when it costs you something, even when it costs you everything. We're, supposed to, we're called to be people who love others. One of the uh, champions of faith, in my mind anyways, is a man named Henry Nouwen. And Henry Nouwen wrote uh, a lot of wonderful books that have deeply formed and shaped me. And if you want to talk about books later, I'll, I'll talk to you all day long. But I'll spare the rest of you right now. So... Henry Nouwen had a PhD, and he taught at some of the best theological schools in the country. For 20 years, he taught at Notre Dame, at Yale, at Harvard. He was at the top of the academic field. If you went out to do a PhD in theology or religion, that's where you wanted to teach. That's where he was. And one day, he decided to give it all up. And he moved to a, to a small town in Canada where he went to serve at a place that dealt with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. He was at the top of his field, and he went and started serving food and cleaning bathrooms. And it was confounding for people, even his peers, say, why would you do that? This is the way of love. This is what love looks like. It will cost you something. But church, I want to remind you that it cost our Jesus everything. He did it for you and for me, even when we didn't want it or ask for it. That's who we're called to be. God, before he is anything, is a God of love. He accepts you where you are today, but because he's a God of love, he expects the same for you. And maybe today you didn't think of God as a God who loves first. I want to read something to you today. I want to reread Paul's message from 1 Corinthians 13. I want to do it with God in mind. As we close today and as I read this, will you please stand with me, church? God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. God does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, 
always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. And let us follow him in the way of love.